individual free will, but I'm, I'm getting naked almost out of necessity, and I'm just going to see if it changes the energy of the actual recording <laughs> at all. Boy, it was weird how... It was weird how our subscriptions bumped up like 20% once you started just, once you started taking your clothes off. Well, the trick is is that in the, the meta tags, I started including nude, and that just drove traffic <laughs> automatically. Anyway, since I'm Nick and I'm talking about taking my clothes off in uh, a show that has nothing to do with that, this is probably the Big Bang Theory Theory. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Kyle. And you're, you're watching, or you're listening to a show which I promise has nothing to do with me getting naked, but has everything to do with a television, television series called The Big Bang Theory. And Kyle and I agreed uh, in a, a darkly lit back room one day to watch this entire series and figure out why the hell anyone else does it. And you're joining us at about Season 5, Episode 8 today. And God, so I th- remember that. That was like a bar we had to go through, like... There was, like, the front of the bar, and then there was, like, the back of the bar, like, that were two separate rooms, and then there was a whole outside area. I had never been in such a large bar in my life. If I remember right, I think it was uh, the Angel City Brewing Company in L.A., which, yeah, was huge on its own and had the outside area, and I remember feeling so, so brave, so bold to, to meet with you and be like, hey, you know what? Us two white guys with nothing better to do, I think we should really put our opinions about nerd culture on the internet. That's something that uh, will will never be saturated and that people cannot get enough of. Also, there were good hot dogs or something there. But Kyle, uh, I guess we should probably talk about the, the episode that we watched today. Here we go. So as I mentioned, today, season five, episode uh, seven, maybe actually, not episode eight, uh, officially titled... The Isolation Permutation, and we've got a problem here already, which is that this episode feels like the most real episode of television that this series has had that I can remember, and what I mean by that is uh, it feels most like it has substantive plot and character development and forward momentum rather than just some hacky backdrop for random punchlines, uh, but the plot nonetheless is very straightforward. It's uh, Meredith, no, sorry, Bernadette and Penny and Amy are all very excited to start doing uh, brides, bridal shopping for Bernadette and Wallowitz's wedding. Uh, you know, they're looking at bridesmaid dresses and the actual wedding dress and all that, and it's great. Uh, but Bernadette, not yeah, Bernadette and Penny are feeling a little overwhelmed by Amy. She's pretty intense. She's into. Um, a lot of proposed rituals that would require uh, bathing each other the night before the wedding. Uh, I don't, th- th- this A through line in this episode is Amy is in- intensely horny and no one is willing to help her with it. But what happens is uh, one day while Amy is at work or after work, uh, she learns I through Wallowitz that Penny and Bernadette have gone uh, dress shopping without her. And she apparently has pretty significant abandonment issues because she immediately is like, oh my god, they hate me. They left me out intentionally. This is the worst thing that could have ever happened to me. Sheldon has to try to cheer her up uh, as her basically best friend slash stand-in boyfriend. Amy uh, 
propositions him multiple times because she thinks the way to work through her feelings is with a with a good old uh, knee trembling makeout session, and uh, it, it doesn't ever fly. It is adorable to see the two of them negotiate how much uh, intimacy they're they're willing to get away with. Ultimately, uh, Bernadette and Penny find out that they've hurt uh, Amy. Bernadette offers uh, Amy to be her maid of honor at the wedding. And Amy goes totally batshit again for uh, being excited to be in the wedding. That's the episode. Surprisingly light on anything upsetting or troubling. I am gonna I'm gonna jump ahead with a rating and say this is at least a seven out of thirteen. I'm gonna say an eight out of thirteen episode because holy shit, it feels like someone actually tried and uh, successfully did something. That's how I feel. Kyle, what are your thoughts? Any other plot points? What's going on? My thought, this uh, this episode continues the trend of Amy being the character I relate to the most on this show. Yeah. Which is, which is just, like, not what I was expecting. But, you know, her whole, like, I'm insecure and I feel like the, the popular kids are excluding me because they don't really like me anymore. Dynamic. You know, I was really relatable. I didn't actually feel bad for her because I knew that by the end of the show it would all be resolved somehow. But sure. it was like, I get how... In, in real life, if this happened, you would feel pretty shitty about it. That being said, I also get how objectively she really is annoying as fuck in this episode. And <gasps> we, Kyle, we are at odds on this point. I just, I, I, I'm saying it's a no win. I don't. They did, they did objectively the noble thing, which is they sacrificed a little bit of their own happiness and contentedness in order to include their friend, who was objectively making the experience worse. I I I think you're right, except that I I don't want Amy to be on the outs here, and so I'm refusing to concede that the situation is worse with her, because I think it would rule if I were getting married and I had a cool, super involved friend who knew a little bit about all the world's different marriage traditions, and for whatever reason emphasized the ones that were, were going to involve us cleaning each other one night. I, I think that's a real good bonding thing to do. I'd, I'm someone myself who uh, would probably be completely overwhelmed by anything having to do with getting married. To have her gusto, I think, would be a real boon. And so, I don't know. I'm, I'm siding with Amy in this episode. I the, mean, I'm... Yeah, I'm mostly on her side. But, I mean, I also think you are right, though, that you know, they, they do feel freaked out and you can't change that. And so they, they, in the end, they were like, yeah, I guess we, we better throw her a bone. She is our friend. Well, well, yeah. And like, but like the end of the episode in particular, right. Sort of sold it. Like it ends with, uh, with her like video recording their. It's their, almost uh, like a, a fashion montage, but they're just trying on the three of them. The three women are all trying on different yeah, dresses. It doesn't have Katie, KT Tunstall singing in the background. Otherwise, it would be a classic wedding fashion montage. Yes, but um, but she. I mean, she's constantly making blatantly sexually inappropriate comments towards Penny and tries to photo and tries to video record her naked at one point. Uh, all of which is funny within the context of the show, but would not be funny in real life. I'm saying. And I get how it would be stressful. Also, just doesn't seem to give a shit about Bernadette's opinions about much of anything, which is also no. a little hard, a, sort of a bad quality for the maid of honor. Well, and that's a joke that uh, is explicit at the end where I can't remember what the, the, the difference in opinion was, but 
And he's like, uh, excuse me, are you the maid of honor? And Bernadette's like, well, no, but I am the, uh, the bride. And she says, oh, I didn't think so, and tramples over whatever the fuck it was she wanted. So, yeah, I guess she's a little bit of a nightmare, that's true. I mean, um, she's still Amy. We still love our Amy, but I'm just saying. Yeah. I, you know, the proper way to deal with that would have been a conversation as opposed to excluding her from the cap coming to try on dresses thing, so. That's true. Also, I did like how Sheldon got to be the actual helpful, supportive person in this episode. Thought it was bizarre. Unless I forgot something from the last episode. If I remember right, up until this episode, Priya and Leonard never officially broke up, I don't think. Priya no, did they, admit they... to cheating. And then Leonard in this episode has a, just a off-the-cuff line about like, oh yeah, my ex, I'm single or whatever. Yes, I'm assuming that th- that is the new status quo. You didn't actually see them break up in the last episode. Like, do they not okay. know how to write an arc for a side character? Because every one of Leonard's girlfriends just kind of disappears. And there's not anything funny or interesting when they leave. There's no lesson that Leonard ever learns. Like, you know, there was well, Stephanie who appeared for two episodes and then just poof. Uh, Leslie Winkler just stopped appearing. Priya was a season plot central character and then she just quietly disappeared <laughs> yeah i mean i think it's because breakups are a bummer and so they don't uh i mean i'm not saying you're maybe you're right that a better written show would have like a way of portraying these things comically i mean lord knows uh, going back to peep show like peep show did it like some of the best episodes were the episodes where uh, you realize two characters were not going to be seeing each other any longer. But yes. um, I think it's a high bar to be able to write funny jokes about two people breaking up. And I just thought the writers were like, we're not going to mess with that. I guess that's true. What I'd like to see in this season, which I know won't happen, but it is just what I'd like to see is Leonard and Amy um, having uh, an understanding where they will use each other's genitals to infinite delight and and be there for each other exclusively in that regard. And then Sheldon will have to confront whether he has any sort of physical attraction to Amy as he he struggles with the, the feelings of jealousy he gets in spite of insisting that their relationship is a what one purely of the intellect. Um, well, there was there was an episode where I can't remember the context, but it which is. I'm getting almost as bad as you are now because it was only like I'm sure it was. Well, only like I, I think I remember. Didn't like Amy give Leonard a drunken smooch or something like that, and but there was there, there was some sort of hitting on that that got well, yeah. Sheldon when, riled yeah. up. Right. So we know that Sheldon experiences jealousy, but he doesn't experience sexual attraction, as far as we have learned so far. Yeah, that seems correct. So, I guess if. Uh, I, I, I believe, just through cultural osmosis, that he and Amy are going to get married uh, at the end of the series, maybe. And I wonder if that's going to be, in a way, progressive in that they are willing to acknowledge uh, Sheldon's asexuality, or if he's just going to start giving up the goods. Yeah, I assume it's the... Le- because even now, like the fact that he doesn't w- have sex with her is treated as like a weird joke. Like, it's not like, oh, you know, there are people who don't have sex. It's like, oh, look at this weirdo who won't even give it to his girlfriend, even though she wants it. Yeah. Ah, poor, poor Sheldon. Even though she's begging for it. Yeah. What else is going on? Uh, Raj uh, doesn't 
I don't know if he really has any more than two lines in this episode, but both lines reveal that he knows at least the basic, uh, the most basic information there is about different dress patterns, and that itself is apparently hilarious, uh, that he would know anything about dresses. The audience can't get enough of that shit. Uh, Amy gets drunk alone at a liquor store, which is weird, and then Leonard and Sheldon go save her, and it's cute, I guess. I don't know, we kind of go over the big stuff. Drunk, drunk Amy's fun. I just, if this, I really wish the show were about Amy. It's, like, I'm, I'm happy to have as much Amy as we do. I just feel like she is consistently the most uh, fun and compelling character in the show. Well, I think the show, I mean, she's slowly urkeling the show in which in yes. this, more and more of the plots are yes. around her. <laughs> she just needs a cool catchphrase. She's going to start wearing suspenders. Has that happened in any other show where a side character showed up and they're like, "We're, we're he's unstoppable. We, we have to yield." I mean, I think it. I, let me. Do you ever go on TV tropes? Uh, not in a long time. I, I, I would actually. I think uh, maybe one of its sister sites specifically video game tropes, but I know what you're talking about. I wonder because I wonder what the name for this uh, for this trope is. Well, I mean. I don't know if we should do live research, but I bet if either of us were to look up Urkel in there, it would probably have some sort of description of what he did to that show as a trope. But yes. let's let's not go down that road. Is Why? there any? What, okay, what what else are we talking about? Well, I mean, well, I, I, I think it, it would be great if we did talk rather than I just vamp while you type or something. I don't know. I'm trying to have a, a friggin' podcast here with you, Kyle. Engage with me. Be my special buddy. I mean, I'm here. I was thinking about the Fonz, but he was always like, I never watched Happy Days, but he was always like the main character, right? Like that wasn't. Ooh. I just thought of one. Adventure Time. Uh, Princess Bubblegum and Marceline absolutely took that show over. I didn't know you ever watched Adventure Time. Not all of it. I, I was a big fan early on, and then I just kind of fell off. Uh, but I, I would check in every now and then and be surprised to see that it would be exclusively bubblegum and wrestling content, which is great. They're both great. I mean, I, I would be sad to not see Finn and uh, Jake as often, but I get why they went that direction. A- Amy gets drunk alone. She plays uh, R.E.M.'s Everybody Hurts on a harp, and I found it endearing. <laughs> Yes. Again, I assume the only reason Amy plays a harp is because they discovered that uh, Mayim Bialik plays the harp and won it and figured, you know, they could make yeah. work that into the show. I don't even know if that's true. That's just my assumption Maybe. because otherwise there's nothing about that fact that actually gels with anything, which is no. actually better, right? Like that's, again... Maybe that's, I feel like one of the reasons her character works is because they do model stuff like about her actual personality onto her character. And now what I'm suspecting now that you said that is maybe the reason that Amy is getting so much more screen time anymore is that when they created the show and hired who they did as the main cast, they were like, we just need some one note sitcom actors. They know, they have to know what a punchline is and they have to know when to mug. And then they get Mayim Bialik on the show and they're like, shit, she's a multi-dimensional talented person. Like, there's so much more we can do with her. And I guess we have to include her more because she she actually has talents and knowledge and abilities and we, we really have to make it work. Let's give Sheldon yeah. his own show, though, about baby Sheldon. Well, I don't know. It's I, I feel like... We're prematurely moving on the nerd things almost, but I don't I don't know what else there is to nitpick at this one. Because, like, 
like I said, for me, t- totally good episode. Not excellent, but better than uh, better than average. So fun facts I'm learning in my research, which I oh. did the whole time we were talking. You, you know, son of a bitch! There. You son of a bitch! Two th- interesting things. I mentioned Happy Days yes. as another as the Fonz as a character who grew to take over that show. And not only does he come up in TV tropes as an example, but actually, ironically, Family Matters and Happy Days, same production company. Same, oh. One is sort of the spiritual successor to the other, and that there were both spinoffs of other shows that became more popular <laughs> than the shows they spun off of, and they both had... A, a character who was originally introduced as like a bit archetype that's... sort of slowly metamorph into becoming the most popular character on the show. That's such like a weird quirk or flaw to have as a writer or a writing team is that you keep accidentally writing secondary characters that are too good. <laughs> we just keep we keep drawing focus away from this family dynamic, but just the audience can't get enough. We knocked it out of the park again. But did, did you find anything else in your research about the specific trope of the Urkeling? So one really good example that I thought was nice was the example of, although you don't, you never watched Arrow, but there's a nerdy girl, very similar actually, in sort of keeping with the same nerdy breakout character, more subtype. There's a character on Arrow who's introduced who has no comic book counterpart and she's just like the computer girl and she eventually like morphs from being just like the computer girl to being like the romantic main romantic interest for the lead and everything else and she totally ended up taking over like 50 nice. her name in the show is Felicity Smoke and she is in fact Felicity Snoke I think it's Snoke she is quite a hottie so I get how it happened well, I'll look her up as soon as we're done here and have thoughts about whether or not I ever want to watch that show to see her do her thing. Probably not. I have no interest in the DC Iverse or any of that. That's fine. All right. We've done our research. We've, we've talked about our episode. Any last business before we start making some nerdy recommendations? Uh, no, I got nothing. All right. Well, I'll go ahead and just uh, jump right in. Oh, Kyle, yes. Hey. I guess I, if you want to, something, so, now that we've established Leonard is single again, how many episodes before he either A, gets a new girlfriend, or B, ends up dating Penny again? That's so the question. So, this is, this is number seven in the season. I bet it happens, I'm not even going to say by number ten, I'm going to say episode number ten is when it happens. That's my bet. <laughs> You're calling, oh, Babe Ruth pointing at, <laughs> pointing his, his shot out in the outfield. That's I've got the confidence. I, I I feel this. You gonna make a bet, or are we just gonna see what happens? No, I, I'm sure. I mean, it's to me that seems a little late. I wonder if it would be like the next episode, but we'll okay. see. Okay, there we go. We have the most minimal stakes to keep ourselves engaged with the show. Uh, also, I had forgotten this, but in, last thing about breakout characters. Did you know that originally on the the premise of the West Wing was going to be that the president either never shows up or is only in like one episode a season? And then when they brought in Martin Sheen to be at the end of the first episode, people loved the way he portrayed the president so much that he ended up becoming the main character of the show. Goddamn Martin Sheen. Good for you. I will never watch that show, but good for you. You've never watched The West Wing? No. Everybody's watched The West Wing. That's what I hear. It's, inc- 
It's increasingly irrelevant in our modern political culture and feels both idealistic and condescending in a way that uh, makes people... So you're saying Aaron Sorkin was involved somehow. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and I'm saying the Sorkin-ness of it becomes more and more grating as the years pass. The same way that Buffy the Vampire Slayer is slowly falling from, like, beloved classic to, like, just another thing that Joss Whedon slimed on the popular culture. Yeah. Um, But both things I still love unironically, so... um, But I get it. I get why other people have their problems. Well... I'm going to use that to transition into what may be a semi-ironic enjoyment of my nerdy thing of the bye week, which is I'm recommending an anime. I've not finished this oh, yet. Oh, oh shit. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I feel like when Kyle brings anime recommendations, he does such with a, a very refined palette where I'm like, look at the dumb garbage I, I found in the sewer and I feel like that's what I'm doing again here, because uh, this time I am going to recommend uh, the one-season series Space Dandy. As, uh, oh, yeah! As every episode reminds you uh, in the introduction, Space Dandy is about a dandy in space. And I think the best way that to describe it is it's like Cowboy Bebop for idiots. It's a small crew of space adventurers, primarily Space Dandy, who wanders around uh, with his crew, uh, trying to register um, never-before-found alien species and not doing a very good job of it. And his only real motivation in life... Kyle, oh my god, you're typing. (laughs) I was just looking up what studio made Space Dandy, because I was curious. Ah! (laughs) I believe it's Bones, if that's the studio. I don't know, that's one of the few English words that I can find during the production credits. Um, my my apologies. I will murder you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, in like his only real ambition is he wants to uh, own every single uh, franchise of the uh, restaurant chain Boobies, and it's dumb. It's he's just kind of a aloof, horny idiot. Uh, there is hardly a plot to speak of. There's this this very thin veneer of an intergalactic war that Space Dandy is somehow uh, central to, and yet he seems to be completely unaware of it, and it has very little bearing on anything else in the episode. So that may, you know, develop more as I go on, but I kind of doubt it, because this really seems like a show that is kind of about just chilling out and enjoying the, the, the goofiness of uh, as it comes. And I'll just leave it there. It's if you just want something silly and fun and weird it, that you don't have to hold on to, you can enjoy and forget about and move on. Uh, I'm gonna recommend Space Dandy. Kyle, your turn. All right, uh, I'm going to recommend a movie I saw just last night that I had been looking forward to. This is uh, so that is The Green Knight. Uh, I, I saw this myself, but go ahead. Directed by David Lowry, starring Dev Patel. Um, So The Green Knight is an adaptation of a one sub-legend in the Arthurian mythos. So there's King Arthur, there's his whole story with all of, in addition to all of his adventures, the Knights of the Round Table, you know, all have their own adventures attributed to them. Uh, And one of the most famous and weird of these stories is the story of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. 
famously in the story, a green knight appears in Camelot and dares one of the knights to smack him with their sword. And however, whatever they do to him, he gets to do back to them in one year's time. So Gwen picks up the sword, lops off the guy's head, says, Ha! I found a loophole. At which point, uh, the green knight being, it turns out, magical, who could have foreseen, bends down, picks up his head, and his talking head says, All right, I will see you in one year's time, and uh, I will cut off your head in return. And so then, famously, Sir Gwen goes on a whole bunch of weird, surreal adventures uh, on his way to the castle of the Green Knight uh, in order to prove he's a, a man of honor and not scared, you know, even though he knows he is marching to his doom at the hands of a weird, magical creature, you know, he does it because he made his vow, damn it. That's the classic story, The uh, which, you know, there are like a whole bunch of versions and variations of this story. There have been, I think there's like a Gerald Tolkien version. I think there's like a Lloyd Alexander who did the Black Cauldron version. I'm not sure which version of this story I actually read. I just, or if I'm just familiar with it, like through cultural osmosis, because I'm a big, you know, <laughs> I, classical I, mythology nerd. I took a class specifically on medieval literature. There is no way I haven't read The Green Knight, and yet I had zero recollection of it prior to watching this movie. Yeah, I, so I remember the story which is why I can say that the film version uh, is actually a very faithful adaptation of the central incidents of the story in that it does not, uh, it doesn't take away any of the weird shit that is in the original story. If anything, it only adds weird shit to the story. <laughs> so this is, a, this is in many ways a very straightforward retelling story. It just, it adds into it some very fun, sort of surreal imagery. Uh, one person when I was describing it to was like, you make it sound a little like Pan's Labyrinth. I'm like, that's not a bad mm. point of comparison or something like that's that. That's what was in my mind um, immediately going into the movie. And um, so I can see that. So, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so like in this version, instead of the Green Knight just being green, he's like this weird tree man, which, you know probably make has some thematic connections to what the movie is trying to say on a subtextual level. I'm not going to get into all of that. You know, I will just say if you like uh, weird movies, this is, this is somewhere in between, uh, I think, like Pan's Labyrinth and The Witch in its level of weirdness, meaning it is easy. It, it makes more sense than The Witch when you're done with it, but... You can also watch the whole movie and then at the end be like, what the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> Not, which is fine. I like movies like that. I thought uh, all of the actors in it are great. Deb Patel is great as the main character. Yes. Um, Alicia uh, Vikander, is that her name? Who plays his girlfriend slash the, the lady in the woods. I can never remember her last name. I know she's from Ex Machina, but... Yeah, a lot of, lot of, good, lot of good acting in this one. A lot of fun characters uh what's that guy's name sam worthington or uh shows up as like this weird lord uh all of it's all of it's great so i would recommend it just with the understanding that it is not a straight it's not lord of, that's what i want i was like if lord <laughs> of the rings is one kind of like pseudo medieval fantasy adventure 
and then the seventh seal by Neymar Bergman <laughs> is like the other end of the spectrum for the pseudo-medieval fantasy adventure. This is somewhere in the middle, but closer to the seventh seal yeah. than to Lord of the Rings. And so well, your mileage may vary. Well, and before seeing this, I saw no trailers. I, I saw no ads. I have no idea how this movie was presented to the public. But uh, it played at our local indie theater here in Missoula, where a couple of my friends work. And they were telling me that uh, people were coming out of the movie... Uh, upset? Upset or confused, and that there were walkouts. And I think I'm going to start referring to this as the A24 effect. <laughs> um, which definitely, yeah. But it's also, I thought it was strange, though, because, you know, what you're saying about that being kind of like in the middle between... <laughs> Like super accessible and I'm trying to think of the opposite of accessible. I don't know, <laughs> but you know, on that spectrum, um, that this obscure. yeah, we'll go obscure. That this seems like one of the most accessible A twenty four movies, and so I was a little surprised to hear that people are still kind of freaked out about it. But yeah, it is not at all what you would expect of a a fantasy tale, uh, like a mainstream fantasy tale. Although, again, I will say, uh, there is, I think, uh, uh, there's a name for this trope, but I can't remember uh, what it is. But a lot of the stuff in the movie that you're like, this is weird, this must be, like, weird indie director shit, is actually just like, no, that's just weird old stories shit. It's yeah. like, if you ever actually read Beowulf, you know, there's weird shit that anyone who is making a modern adaption would probably cut out, because it's like, you know, that's ambiguous and weird, we don't need that part, nobody... Yeah, under, like, like that's culturally irrelevant now. Well, that's like as little as I remember about my medieval literature learnings. Like there are a few things that would not translate and never get mentioned in in modern tellings. Like uh, with the Canterbury Tales, I remember our professor being excited about the jokes about in some versions, like the the cook character having a a boil he would pop open and use as an ingredient in his stews and. It, talking about why would that even be included and what were they trying to say about that kind of person or that class of person. Um, and then if in the movie now you were to see that, you'd be like, why, why is that happening? That's an awful, terrible, <laughs> disgusting thing. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, they were, they were freaky back then. That's, we don't just have weird people today. They've been around yeah. forever. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, highly recommended. Also, I guess as long as I'm talking about it, I will say, I think I recommended it when I saw it. But um, this is by the same guy who directed the uh, A Ghost Story. And if you want to talk about a weird fucking inaccessible movie... Uh, <laughs> I, I still need to see I that. Loved, a Ghost Story is the one where Casey Affleck dies and becomes a ghost. And the way they render his ghost is he just walks around in his old house wearing a sheet and everybody pretends they can't see him. Mm. And that movie is a fucking delight and everyone should watch it. Yeah, that that's one where when I very first saw the trailer, I assumed it was a joke, but have since heard it is, as you said, a delight, and it's on the list. <sighs> I'm trying to think of, like the last movie that was confusing or upsetting. Let's let's do this. This was a short episode. Let's let's have a weird little outro segment, top of our heads. Kyle, you can think of a movie that just kind of put you in a weird spot. I'm gonna I mean, do. I've... Okay, go ahead. I was, oh, I was just going to say, fuck! I you're... famously... <laughs> no, 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 that was... Uh, I swear, we're just equally awkward. You know this. I famously uh, did not like um, uh, Hereditary, 
I didn't like right. it so much that I watched it twice just to be sure the second time around that I hated it as much as I I thought the first time. Um, so there was that one. Well, that maybe I this wasn't the one that first popped into my mind when I was thinking of the question, but maybe that movie for me is is Us because that's one where I I left oh, and I was yeah. like Jordan Peele, what the. I don't know if you're too smart for me or if you're just out of your goddamn mind, but I don't know what the fuck just happened. And so I have to rewatch that and see if my feelings are any different. Yes, I, that is a... Speaking of movies where the ending... Where it's not clear that the ending makes any sense. Or any of it makes any sense. Right. Um, have you heard that his next movie is just called Nope? I have not heard that. I. That's not a joke. That's true. He's making his third movie, so... The, his first movie was Get Out, his second movie was Us, his third movie, of which we know nothing about the plot yet, is just called Nope. Which is, I think, a little troubling. It makes me wonder if we've got a Shyamalan situation on our hands. Because as he went forward, his, his movie titles became increasingly uh, indicative of the level of fucks that he gave about the quality of his films. Kyle, I'm almost kind of glad you just said that because I have this fear that I'm afraid of saying out loud that Jordan Peele is a charlatan. That he he made good out Get Out, pretty good movie. He's also a funny guy, but after Get Out, everyone was like, ah, he is the new lord of horror and creativity. And I'm like, we'll see. I, mean, ah. I think it's a. I think as I was saying in our conversation, uh, he. You're allowed to make bad movies. Like, yeah. just because you made... He's a... It, it, I think the problem is we can't put him on a pedestal. We have to just judge each project by its own merits. I think I it's think totally fair. fair to say he made one really good movie, one very questionable movie, and yes. now we'll see. Now, you need at least three to see what direction that the line is going in. <laughs> um, in that same... Uh, this isn't a movie that I have seen. This is a, so there's a movie that I have to watch so that and then there's I'm because I'm excited about the new reboot. It's not even a reboot. I think it's a direct whatever. So they're making a new Candyman movie, right? Which looks really fucking good from all of the trailers that I've seen for it so far. And now it makes me want to uh, really watch. I've always heard good, I've seen bits of the original Candyman, but I've never seen it all the way through. I've always heard like of the of the '90s horror movies that came out like in the like post like '80s golden age of slasher fix. It's like one of the best ones. Right. Love me some Tony Todd. Everything he's in, I'm always a fan. Usually in Star Trek when he's playing a Klingon, but you know he's just great generally. Oh, I I don't even know about him from Star Trek. I know him almost exclusively as being guy that shows up in a horror movie to very confidently give everyone around him the willies. He's like six him. and a half feet tall, right? Yeah, and he's got that, that super low gravelly voice. And it's always like, whatever scariness or craziness is going on, that's part of his world. And, yes. and some dumb teen shows up and he's like, you don't know what kind of trouble you just got yourself in. It's like, oh, Tony Todd, please help me. Please help me. Oh, speaking of A24 movies, the, so they played the trailer for the new Candyman, which looked good. They also played the trailer for what I, it's the exact same A24 effect thing, um, although I don't know if it's by them, but it's just like that kind of movie. It's called Lamb. That, I think that is them, yeah. And the only thing I know about it is it's about a, a couple, one of their sheep gives birth to a sheep that is basically like a little kid with a sheep's head. 
And it's like, this is the kind of thing that we expect you to make. So thank you for continuing to do your job, I guess. Yeah, A24 very much staying on brand, and I'm here for it. I appreciate it. Like, in some ways, there's on-brand as Marvel, just, like, in a different way. Like, the kind of movies they make are as consistent in that sense as, like, the Marvel films. But, you know, they're not, like... Kind of makes me wonder, now that I'm having put myself in this corner, I want to see the A24-verse. I want to see the weird kids with the sheep's head and, like, one of the survivors of the virus from, uh whatever that one movie was where the virus had ravaged humanity. Anyway, 